Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Gunn, your host. This is part two of our interview with Chris Bunky Marler. This episode, Chris chats about what it was like to instruct on the T-45, working with the students, landing on the carrier, and also his current position flying business jets. If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like to support the channel, you can do this by helping us out monthly at patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview, which allows us to continue to create new content every month and grow as a channel. Thank you and enjoy. You sent me a, a couple of photos of our RAF-T2s. I think so. Oh, yeah. I mentioned that they went up against them as well. Yep, they did. And so that was uh, Rage. Rage will probably see this video because I'm going to send it to him. He's going to have to watch it. Uh, <laughs> Rage went to training me when I went through training. And he's the former Hornet guy, and he was the ops at the time. So when, when you guys came down with those gorgeous T or see, the gorgeous Hawks, I think they're a 120 series. I mean, they, they were absolutely beautiful. Uh, black gloss and everything. And so uh, guys got to go up and fight them. Mm-hmm. And said, so, uh, you know, I've learned from a couple of hot guys that said, hey, it didn't have performance of like your Hawk 60s. But apparently it had uh, combat uh, flaps or I think that what they said, they would automate deploy in turns or something. And it really uh, it was able to wrap up the T-45. The T-45 is still outweighed that jet by, I think, 700 pounds because the they gear. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Rage told me, you know. Biggest thing was that FADEF motor, uh, just because, you know, there's no lag whatsoever. And that's the one thing you have to be careful about T-45. I was going to say that was one of his weaknesses uh, was that motor. Uh, it tended to compress your stall pretty easily. Uh, I know I had it happen one time simply in a baby form where I'm braking, you know, and just the airflow into that, I guess, the intake. Here's some pops and you roll out. Everything was fine. But sometimes yeah. guys could lose that motor. Um, but the big thing was behind the boat. Jets have spool-up times, but that thing really, I mean, if you went to idle, you had to be at idle. I mean, you know, don't come back at idle and leave it there. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be in a world. Uh, it just seemed to, like, if I went up into a stall, let's say, um, we stall the aircraft, you know, or, or, or we are recovering. I add power. It seemed, for me, I mean, it took a long time for the engine to spool up. Yeah. And kind of the aircraft going. I mean, it didn't have a great thrust-to-weight ratio, so it... Uh, I thought that, in my opinion, was the biggest weakness, you know, mm-hmm. was the non-FADEC uh, low-thrust motor. Mm-hmm. Another thing I would like to ask, uh, did you did you get stuck with certain students, or did you have a, you know, just any student that came in, you took them on, or did you just uh, have, you know, four or five at a time that you trained? How did that work? I uh, I had on wings, and so what would happen is that you would get, uh, now, I, now, I flew with all sorts of students all the time, but you'd get on wings, and so you would fly a certain amount of flights with them, uh, I do not recall which flights. I think maybe their first, I don't know, five or six flights. Mm-hmm. So you would stay with them and they would go off and do other things. But they would be, uh, uh, their first experience was with me, whether good or bad. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So I, I mean, again, I flew with foreign students. So we had Saudis come in and Saudis don't fly uh, Navy jets. But uh, I guess they bought a bunch of F-15s and um, the Air Force couldn't take them all. So the Navy ended up taking uh, Saudis. And because I trained Saudis, they put me kind of in charge of that program. Yeah. Kind of the syllabus for those guys. Mm-hmm. And they needed the syllabus just because they didn't have to land the way we landed jets. We always trained to land, line the ball, um, but they didn't need that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I flew with just, you know, every phase, uh, except uh, I didn't teach BFM uh, or TAC form, even though I got to go fly those things. I did not do air to ground, um, but I did just everything else. Mm-hmm. 
So could you yeah. see from the start, say, if a, a student wanted to go into, let's say, the F-35, could you see within mm-hmm. a few flights they were probably suitable for something else? Or do you, how did that work? I would say, it, in my opinion, what separated a jet guy from ETCT guy was formation flying. Right. So if I could see a guy who could handle from two-plane, cruise form, uh, get in, stand, well, one, get in position quickly, stand position, uh, and be able to kind of, you know, quickly see that, hey, you know, work the controls. Because basically when you're flying formation, if, if you're reactionary, you're too late. If you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to suck, well, you're already too late. So the students that can handle the formation flying, I felt generally were suited to go on, continue into the uh, the uh, the strike syllabus. You mm-hmm. know, go fly carriers or uh, F-18s or I guess now they are selecting F-35s. At the time, they did, they were not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there came some issues and what was happening, uh, you know, when I was a student and I got E2C2, I'm like, eh, you know, I had jet grades. I, you know, I felt it was unfair. And then when I was an instructor, what was happening was this. They would have a board and they would go, okay, those going to C2s would be those guys to the left of the curve with the lower grades and all the jet guys. Okay, well, that's fair. I mean, because, you know, you, uh, you earn your grades. But the issue is now is all, you know, the ETC community is now getting this half, you know, and not getting out of this half, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it's kind of better to have a quality spread sometimes. So I think they're back now. They select out a primary. And, and we had some really – you know, just absolutely fantastic pilots uh, in uh, the ETCT community. And so I think that's kind of, it's nice once in a while, if you're going to get a guy, you know, get a guy to ride that curve who comes in and he just blasts through formation flying. And you don't do a lot of that in ETCT. Mm-hmm. I get it. But uh, it just seemed that we sometimes were getting the lower half, why should not everyone from the top half? And again, if you're the top half and you're the number one guy, I think you deserve to get, you know, if you want Hornets, you know, go get Hornets. Yeah, yeah. So So, that that to me was the better. So, in your opinion, at the time when you were training, would you say the Goshawk was the right aircraft to be training students on to go onto frontline aircraft? You know, for the E two C two, maybe I don't know for the Hornet and Harrier. uh, You know, because the performance gap, I think, what I hear is is pretty big, Mm -hmm. right, between those two. for the carrier, yeah. At first, you know, I had some reservations. When I was going back to boat, there kind of was this, hey, you know, got to be careful. And because pilots bring habits from their platform to the T-45, mm-hmm. is that bad or good? Um, yeah, no. I mean, it's not necessarily bad habits, but an ETCT guy, when we trapped in the boat, we didn't have to go full power because our props were at 100% RPM. We had instant torque. Uh-huh. So those few times that I boltered, just a few, you know, you bolter, I just add power. You know, you're like, oh, you know, I'm boltering off you go. Now, jet, you've got to trap and you got to add power. I mean, no matter what, you add power in case, you know. Um, but I'd heard some things about T-45, but when I went to the boat, I thought it was a fantastic aircraft behind the boat. It was very forgiving, very easy to fly. Um, so I will say that was the right boat to train in that. And uh, I'm sure, you know, the hardest thing, my understanding was when guys are going to the Hornet rag or the FRS or I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've been retired for six years now, what they call it now. The most difficult thing was I think guys were pretty good going from the T-45 the Hornet uh, at the boat during the daytime. Uh, the, the two factors that I remember hearing was that uh, guys failing out of the Hornet rag was, uh, you know, ACM and uh, night carry landings. So those were the two biggest factors that were, I think, guys weren't maybe as 
I'd say not as prepared because I think we did a fantastic job, but maybe um, the aircraft, you know, needed to be, you know, a bit higher in the performer scale. And that's just my opinion on the thing. But that was some of the complaints we got from uh, feedback from the Hornet Rags. Yeah, and also when you're training on the boat, I've, I've only seen a few pictures, but the pictures on the boat mm. just seem to be goshawks. There doesn't seem to be any other aircraft on. Was there like a specific time frame where they just it was just training for them guys? Yeah, so the boat may go out and you're going to have the Hornet rag, you're going to have, you know, um, the, uh, well, now it's just Hornets or the E2C2 or goshawks. So what they want to do is just simply have it all that one aircraft, right? Mm. Uh, for example, the E2C2, when we went to the rag, uh, to the boat as a student at the RAG, we come in break and then we'd be on speed, right? So a COD going on speed or an E2 slightly faster, but a COD on speed is maybe 110 knots, right? Mm. Well, if you're doing, and the student, you know, you're trying to get everything right, you're, you know, assholes and elbows when you're coming into the boat in the C2, E2. If you're in the fleet now and I come in and I break and I roll, I'm on speed, and let, let, let's say I break in a mile and I come out in, in the boats out here and I'm coming down and I'm on speed at 110. And the Hornet behind me breaks and he's on speed at 140. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just eat my lunch. He's just going to catch up. You can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. So on the fleet, I mean, students get from the rag and they break and I'm like, nope, 150 mm-hmm. knots until being the ship. Yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, yep. Yeah. And then you get on speed. So what we want to do is just make sure the carrier just has those specific aircraft so there's no kind of intermingling. And so air speeds and all that, it's just very focused on those 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 student pilots landing. Mm-hmm. So how long was the course from start to finish for a student? It could, you know, there's always delays. There's weather, uh, boat delays, range delays. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year, One I year. think, would average. Yeah. And that's I'm... just for T-45, though. Right, I see, yeah. yeah. And did you yeah. ever connect, uh, you know, become friends with any of the students you trained? Yeah. Yeah, I, on my Facebook, I, I I got several students, you know, and the, the one thing I'll say is that some of these students that I've got, they were just, they just blew my mind how good they were. I mean, yeah. it, it was just, I mean, I'm like, you know, I had to struggle to be average. I always do, you know, I, I, I had to work my butt off and I might get to the average mark, but some of these students were just from the get-go, so fantastic. And here I am as an instructor, I'm sitting in the back seat or the front seat. And watch these guys fly and, you know, do what they do, fly formation. I'm like, man, I wish I was half as good and I was a student. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do uh, – I have quite a few as friends on uh, Facebook that I uh, stay in contact with. And, uh, you know, some are E2C2 guys and uh, most are jet guys, obviously, because most I flew with in T45 land were going to go fly jets. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Maybe you're not allowed to say this. This is just an off note from the questions. But um... – was there any ego involved? So if an, uh, the student was better than the instructor, was there any ego that came in from one of the instructors that you knew or anything no, like I that? Mean, you know, had, you know, that's the thing. The student was, was, was good. He had to be careful. And uh, there was a student, an example, and, uh, you know, he uh, he was a Marine student. I think he was an Embry-Riddle guy. And he was actually, he was modeling. He was actually pretty good. I think he flies Harriers now, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the way I taught, and you know, this is not how all students taught. We had some guys. Um, we had one of our pilots going to be a Blue Angel. Uh, he was Blue Angel number two for the last uh-huh. couple of years. Uh, I think his last name was Cedarhood. Uh-huh. Matt, I believe. Uh, he had a twin uh, brother who also flew Hornets. But uh, how I would do it when I'd have a guy in fans, mom, when come to break, I'd come to break 250 knots, 280, uh-huh. and it's just a mental thing. It really looked almost the same outside, and then step it up to 350 knots. Yeah. Uh, the T-45 could go faster, but we had an SOP 350 because what was happening when guys were doing 400 knots in the break and overging the aircraft. Poor guys. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
so I had a student one day and uh, we were coming back in and uh, he says, and he's doing pretty well. And he says, Hey, sir, do you mind if I do the break 350? Now we had FSOPs going on. We had, we had parallel runways, FSOPs on this side. So we're going to do a right break. We've been doing left breaks. I said, that's fine. You want to do it. Uh, but just uh, two things. One, you know, just keep the brake level, six Gs. And uh, I said, watch out because we had parallel runways. We had two other par parallel runways this way. I said, watch out, we're going the wrong runway. I said, Sir, I got it. So we come in, we go on the brake. And the student was very cocky because, you know, he knew he was pretty good. Uh -huh. And as he goes to the brake, I can see he loses sight of our runway and he's going towards the wrong runway. But the problem was when he went to the brake, he keyed his ICS. And he kept it down, and he yelled <laughs> as he was going to the break. He was yelling "yeehaw," so he was like "yeehaw." And I'm like, "Watch the runway, watch the runway." But he could hear me over time, and uh, I finally had to, you know, physically take controls and yell and uh, correct him, and then uh, told him to full stop. When when the instructor tells you to full stop, you're supposed to balance. That's never a good thing. All but right. uh, because he did exactly what I told him not to do, you know, and his his his. He had a bit of an ego and arrogance about him, but he was fantastic. I mean, he was really good. He just kind of had to have that knocked down a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so how many hours did you get on the T-45? And can you share a memorable story? I'm sure you've got many, but uh, there's oh, one with us. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I got 800 hours, T-45, instructor hours. Um, yeah. And uh, I know it, it was funny about T-45 is that, you know, those – that flight time came sometimes at 0.5 at a time or maybe a 1.1, you know, and you may yeah. fly maybe three X's a day and you'd end the day with like 2.5. You're like, that is all I flew. You know, I'm tired, you know, I'm, I'm hot and that's why I'm like, that's all I did. But uh, it was always fun. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think T45. I mean, I had all sorts of great experiences. I mean, I remember um, one of the most fun things. I mean, I did the BFM stuff and all that. It was very structured. I thought you know, it was fun from my perspective. Uh, they let me flight uh, students and stuff. And I remember one day, I was I got the debrief, and the instructor's like, um, he's like, Bunk, um, you know, you're better than the student. And what that means, what you sucked, but you didn't suck that bad, you know. Right, yeah. For a guy, yeah, I get okay. But um, uh, I thought tail chase was probably one of the most fun things we did. And the tail chase was uh, – was not scripted. So basically, at the end of a cruise form, if you had gas, we didn't always have gas. Most of the time, uh, we did. Um, we'd form up. I, I would give a guy, I think the system was a cock gun. I'd kiss him off, break 180 degrees, he'd come out. And so what you wanted in tail chase was stay 1,000 feet behind and think of it as a cone. And so when I start to do maneuvers, you stay in that cone. You're not trying to pull lead on me and gun me or anything. What you're trying to do is just keep, you know, do displacement rolls and stay behind. And uh, always fun because there were times, I mean, you'd have maybe if I was with a student, the instructor would just go balls out. He'd be all of the sky, you know, and I'd have to go hot mic because, I mean, we're going from and students would get right on the verge. I think the max G above 5000 was 7.33 G's. Okay. T45 couldn't sustain that. but instantaneously get there when mm -hmm. you had 400 plus knots. And, uh, you know, we're going uphill, downhill and all that. But uh, I remember this this time I was leading an IET and it, uh, he's a Delta pilot now. Good dude. And he was a Harrier pilot. And um, I'm in the student mode, so I'm the lead, so I'm thinking, okay, student, I'm not going to do super, you know, hard maneuvers. I'm not going to yank, bake, and go all out. And we're, you know, we missed about two minutes, and, uh, you know, he keys up the mic. He's like, uh, so when does the tail chase begin? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, 
So the very next fly, I'm like, that's never going to happen again, instructor. I was just in that student mode, you know, and not a, you know, a, a tactical jet guy. And uh, yeah. so I have a former prowler skipper and uh, he's going to the IET and I get down there and I'm like, he's not going to stay with me. And he didn't stay with me. I was just a madman all of this guy just because <laughs> that, you know, that one humiliating, you know, hey, bunk, you know, when does the tail chase begin? I'm like, all right, OK, <laughs> next time you're not staying behind me. Um, so I, I don't know. I, you know, I had so many flights getting those 800 hours. I mean, just, you know, two, three times a day, five days a week. I just absolutely loved it. Uh, the one thing, though, T-45 wasn't RBSM capable, you know, and so we couldn't go above, uh, I think we would often go to 290 or we could go to 4-1. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes you're across countries that was uncomfortable. You couldn't go very far. Uh, you'd have to go, you know, multiple legs. It's not like the jet up right now, which, you know, I can go 3,000 miles, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, late in New York where you did last week. But uh, that was probably, even though, it, you know, that was fun. That was one of the things that um, I would say I remember just because uh, I remember one time, and this is just one of those pilot stories. We're going, I'm with an Indian flight student. These guys can go be MiG-29 pilots. And I'm in the front seat. He's doing RIs in the back. And we're down along the border. We just passed uh, El Paso or going to New Mexico. And there's these, these thunderstorms that the top of these, no kidding, go to like 60,000 feet, mm. right? So I, yeah, I climbed to 410 as high as we can go, and the aircraft would kind of teeter. You had no autopilot, so it would just, you had to be careful. It would just kind of, you know, wallow at its uh, max altitude at times. And uh, I remember we're between these two giant walls of thunderstorms. It's actually, I can see sunshine. I can see blue sky, and it's something out of the movies like these. And, and I'm at 41, and I'm looking up, you know, 20,000 feet to these uh, top of these thunderstorms. And our radio had gone out because sometimes uh, the T-45 didn't have – it's not that it went out, just staticky. Mm -hmm. So I'm out there squawking uh, – uh, what was I squawking? Set, you know, uh, lost calm, 7600, and I'm just making calls to blind. And we're just – and I'm like, I hope to God I don't have to go down to these storms because I'm not going through it. And I just kind of along the border. I remember that, you know, just kind of basic stuff. But uh, Wow, it certainly um, sounds like you've had an amazing career in the Navy. But to, overall, did you enjoy it? I did. Absolutely. You know, and I, I never planned on retiring from the Navy. It was one of those things where I went in, I'm going to be out 10 years and 10 year came and, uh, the, uh, the civilian sector, like uh, flying for airlines or, you know, net jets, uh, uh, just wasn't happening. So I decided to stay in and I will say the last six years of my last three tours in the Navy were absolutely fantastic. When I did the uh, T-34s, the, uh, the, uh, Korea and the T-45s, I mean, I, I couldn't ask for better. And so I ended on a high note. I thought at 20 years, Absolutely. It was, uh, I would do it all over again if I could, you know, and you hear that all the time. Guys will come speak. There'll be admirals or captains will say, Hey, if I could do it again. And you know, at the time we, we, when you're in that seat, you're like, ah, I won't do it again. But I, now I know what you're talking about and absolutely I would do it again. Now, I hear that every time I interview someone, absolutely. I'm sure yeah. you would jump back in the seat. But uh, we're yeah. going to move on to a more personal side. Just a few things about sure. yourself that here, Chris. But sure. uh, other than aviation, do you have any hobbies? Uh, well, you know, yeah, I have hobbies. I am. Uh, I live in Texas. Uh, I was born in Mississippi, grew up in California, but I'm a. Uh, I love shooting, so I'm a big gun guy. I actually right. on my table had one of my rifles, but I didn't want to have it with the video, so I, you know. I took it down. You never know. Some people are like, hey, yeah, there's, always, there's always someone yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'll take it down. But I love that is my biggest passion is shooting. I look I don't hunt, but I love shooting guns. I've got rifles, handguns, and I go out and I shoot all the time. That's what I did uh, 
did yesterday, you know, spent my day shooting. So that, that, and I like fast cars. Wow. Yeah, real fast cars. I, I used to race, I had a C6 Corvette 2005, and I used to race that every weekend. In Pensacola, when I was in NetSAF, I would race every Friday, Saturday night. And so uh, those are, the, I think, my two biggest passions. That's very cool. And we yeah. probably already know this. Favorite aircraft you've flown? Well, yeah. Okay, so T-45, obviously. I mean, I've got the COD, T-34, T-45. Uh, although when I fly now, the Citation Sovereign is a fantastic jet. I mean, it really, it, uh, it's, uh, it climbs like a homesick angel. I mean, it's amazing. I actually am, am surprised by a jet. You know, of course, these jets, these... These jets that were designed to fly, you know, just a few rich people around. Mm-hmm. They're designed to fly uh, long distance to get up high quickly, you know, in the uh, forty thousand foot range and just go. So, mm-hmm. but T forty five, hands down, it uh, it it turned well. I mean, it just uh, it was dynamic. You could go all over the sky with it. Uh, it was great at the boat. It uh, it looked great. I wish. <laughs> the Navy would do away. We used to call it the clownfish, you know, the uh, red and uh, white uh, design um, or orange and white, how you want to look at it. We had a couple birds that you've probably seen that are painted. But uh, when I saw those black uh, Hawk T2s, I'm like, wow, that would be fantastic if we could have them look like those aircraft. Yeah, all, of, all yeah. of our training aircraft are actually painted black. They're all like that. Yeah, they are fantastic looking. And I think those, those, those Hawks had something. I think they were... Um, the cockpits could come out and you could put like, if you were going to fly the Typhoon, you could put the Typhoon cockpit in there or if you're going to fly, you know, uh, the um, Tornado or something like that. I think those cockpits could, could could change out. I think that's what was the beauty of that design. Yeah, definitely. They were doing. And yeah. Is there an aircraft you wish you could have flown in your, uh, let's say, Navy career? Probably the F-18. Now, mm-hmm. When I was growing up, the aircraft I absolutely loved was the A7 Corsair. And as a midshipman, I got to fly in it. I had uh, six hours in the backseat of the TA7C Corsair II with VA-122. Uh, and uh, I absolutely adored that aircraft. But by the time I, I got in, the aircraft was was going away. Um, and so that was just not going to happen. You know, so I definitely wanted to fly the Hornet. And it was the Hornet, believe it or not. And, and I know it, it's like flying the, uh, the, uh, the uh, jet version of the COD was the S3. And the reason I, would, I thought about flying the S3 was just because it looked like a very easy aircraft to fly, and it was right there to San Diego. And uh, that's the one thing about being a, a COD pilot. I was stationed out of NES North Island, San Diego. And, mm-hmm. uh, brother, you can't ask for, like, a better city or better weather. I mean, it was just an absolute uh, beautiful place to be for two different tiers. Yeah. So you have that. And obviously, you just mentioned it before, but uh, do you actually still fly today? And if so, what do you fly, and where do you go? Yeah. Yeah, so I fly with NetJets, so I'm wearing, hey, you know, go, go NetJets. I fly the uh, the Cessna Citation Sovereign, and um, NetJets is the, you know, just promotable, but is the largest private jet company in the world. And uh, we fly, the, I guess, the one percenters. Uh, certainly, I'll never be able to afford to fly with NetJets, uh, you know, so luckily as a pilot, you get to fly them. And so I fly the Sovereign. We, we have, like, 12 different jets. We have Gulfstreams, Global 6000s. Mm-hmm. We've got... Uh, Ah, the longitude coming. We've got we fly uh, Challenger three fifty, six fifties, that sort of thing. So mine is a medium sized jet. Uh, great company, great jet to fly. It holds seven people in comfort. Uh, we average probably uh, I think maybe two people per flight. Wow, lucky few. And we go. 
So, you know, and, you know, I go all over the place. I work seven on, seven off. Those seven days I'm on, uh, we, we fly just about everywhere in the United States. I fly to little tiny airports. The jet I fly can land, you know, at short airfields and take off from short airfields. So I'm not always going to the big, busy airports. I'm going to places in the middle of Wyoming, Montana, you know, and I'm going over to Boston, going to LAX. So it's a pretty neat job. Yeah, it sounds like you got a good. That's that's for certain, Chris. But uh, yeah. before we wrap up, we've Great. got a, a question yeah. from one of our patrons, sure. and it's from Joe Kunzler. And he said, why don't you do night traps in the T-45 Goshawks? So the the night traps are left up to the uh, fleet replacement squadrons, right? So it's to prepare for night <laughs> night carry landings. takes it, It's a lot of work. Um, and so... For whatever reason, the Navy dictated years ago, I assume years ago, that, hey, all that's going to take place at the RAG level. Uh, it takes just an extra amount of FCOPs, extra amount of uh, training and time. So it's just the Navy dictates that the safest way to go for a brand new student is uh, day traps. And then he'll go to the Hornet ET RAG. He'll do, uh, you know, night trap or day traps, and then he'll follow that with night traps. Uh, and night traps, I, I, I tell you... Um, I didn't mention any because I'm trying to think. They were all terrifying for me uh, <laughs> personally, but uh, especially there was, okay, so there was one night we launched off the boat. We were in the Persian Gulf and uh, we were on Cat 4 on the Connie and they had shorter catapults than the modern new carriers and it was just a big bang. And I had, uh, I was in the right seat. We had uh, my, my OSC War, great leader, great pilot. We launch off in darkness. There's no horizon. And I remember the gyros roll. Mm. <laughs> so they just, as we go off, but we have a peanut gyro, and it used to be the backup gyro. It was a little bitty thing. I don't know. It was either at the bottom or top somewhere. And so now we have to fly off this peanut gyro. And uh, we uh, uh, end up coming around, and I think we trapped. And we had this peanut gyro, and then Worf had to fly off needles, which is I think was on another gyro. Not really gyro. So you had to look here and down. So you've got, you know, you're flying the boat at night, coming back to land, you know. And so that's the kind of you know, just terrifying moments at night when there's no horizon. It's easy to get vertigo. So I think what they want, the, I, I, I think this is the reason why is they want a bit more experience, a bit more flight time. So by the time they get the night traps, instead of having 200 hours, now they have, you know, 400 hours, if that makes sense. A little bit safer yeah. with that, a little bit more experience level built up. Yeah. And the last question for our patron who wants to um, re, uh, remain anonymous, uh, where did you get your call sign Bunky from? <laughs> yeah yeah bunky um it's all over my my stuff in the back i mean so at a party in uh december of 2000 i'm sorry 1995 um you know there's a bunch of us you know we're students uh we're talking about guys with call signs or how they come up and um i just got married at the time and my wife uh was calling me honey bunny and she called me hunky bunky so at this party she blurts out his call sign is hunky bunky and so everyone was like you're bunky. And it just stuck because it wasn't cool. It wasn't anything, you know, I'm like, you couldn't have said Thor, you know, something <laughs> yeah. off, but, uh, because it was bunky and it stuck. I mean, my whole career was bunky bunk, you know, um, you know, and people still this day, all my Navy brothers, sisters call me bunky. Well, it could have been worse. Cause I've heard worse than that. That's, that's oh sure. yeah. Oh, it was definitely worse. You know, I won't go into it, but there's definitely uh, some call signs out there that are worse. But, uh, so I guess, you know, you know, in those regards, I got somewhere middle of the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing a bit about your story. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show.
Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate you having me. I thought with all the great stories that there are, that my story isn't much, but, uh, you know, I, I saw Hey Joe's interview, and I, Hey Joe's a fantastic guy, mm-hmm. uh, one of my idols, and, uh, and I said, Hey Joe, why don't you ask him if they want to hear about CODs? I was kind of joking, but not. I said, maybe somebody wants to hear about it. But the T45 line, you know, was kind of exciting. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, because our viewers, um, honestly, they're going to love the interview. Uh, and yes, thanks again. Mm-hmm.